Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another week of Growing With My Fellow Growers. I'm your host, Jack Greenstock, joined, as always, by an amazing panel. I'm going to kick it over first to Spartan Grown. What's up, everybody? I'm Spartan Grown. You can find me on Instagram at Spartan Grown, all one word, no spaces. Don't follow the imposter accounts. I only have Instagram, no other social media. And then uh, if you don't have Instagram, you can shoot me an email at SpartanGrown at gmail.com, and I can answer all your cannabis questions synthetic or organic hopefully i can answer them if i don't i'll ask one of these guys <laughs> at least we'll do our best right or, or tell you that we can't we don't know uh next up brand rust what's going on everybody it's nice to be back again uh for any new listeners or anybody who's just tuning in for the first time i'm brandon rust you can find me at bokashi earthworks right now my uh, main account is deleted but i'll get it back i'm the comeback king when it comes to the ig thing so uh rust.brandon for my main account if it stays up and then you can also check out uh, bokashi earthworks website www.bokashieearthworks.com you can get humic fertilizers microbes ipm stuff you can get soil it's seeds everything it's a one-stop shop with everything you need Happy to have you back up. And next up, we've got Matthew Gates. Hey, everyone. I just breached uh, 5,000 subscribers on my Zentanol YouTube channel, so I'm kind of excited about that. But um, if you're interested in knowing more about uh, plant health, but also specifically pest mitigation and prevention and using things like biocontrols, that kind of a thing, uh, you can find me on Zentanol, the YouTube channel, which is the account that I'm commenting in the chat with. And uh, you can also find me on Instagram at SyncAngel and on Twitter at SyncAngel as well. We're coming up to our 5K. We're at 4.95. So we're 500 behind you on your Zentanol page there with the Cheap Home Grow. But a reminder to uh, the chat, if you want to see everything, make, make sure to click on over to the live chat so you don't get all the messages filtered out that show up in the top chat. Next up, Dr. MJ. Hey guys, yeah, Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. I am happy to be back for another show this week. I see we're going to be discussing some interesting topics, so I look forward to that. Uh, you can always find me at CocoForCannabis.com, on Instagram at Dr. MJ Coco, or on YouTube on my YouTube channel at Dr. MJ Coco. Happy to have you back. And last and certainly not least, who's with us right now is the American one. All right. Um, hey, Jack. Yeah, the move button got in the way. Sorry. Um, Jack, panel, everyone in chat. It's good to see everyone. I'm the American one. Uh, most of you know where to find me, but I am the American one on YouTube and the American one underscore with underscore Akeens on the IG. Akeens is A-C-H-E-N-E-S. And uh, if you just search for the American one and a little guy with the American top hat pops up, that's me probably. So yeah, good to be here. Good to see everyone. Good to have you back. And as a... Sorry. No worries. As a little bit of a preliminary topic, or at least to start off the show, and maybe it'll last for the entire show, I thought we could talk a little bit about some topics related to like airflow, uh, filtration, ventilation, maybe even purification if you're into that type of thing. But just generally, I think that it's a, one of those topics that 
sometimes it's discussed, but not too often. And I think that a lot of people have different philosophies. I've seen like somebody has the idea if you can keep a lighter lit in your grow room, um, that's like, all right, but they want it to be like wavering. You know, if it's blowing so hard that it blows it out, maybe that's too much airflow for some people. Personally, I err on the side of uh, a lot of airflow. So if it does blow a lighter out in my grow room, I'm not going to be too bummed out by it. I tend to err on the side of a lot versus a little when it comes to airflow, but I'm just going to pass it around, uh, I guess, first to Spartan Grown and ask, maybe you could give us a little information about your setup, what kind of maybe exhaust fans or ventilation fans, and then also circulation uh, do you have set up? Sure. The So for, I have, for my exhaust fans, I have, um, they're called, uh, shit, I think they're just called hyper fans. They're blue fan. They're DC so that uh, it comes with a, basically a dimmer i guess you call it um, where you can regulate the speed and it actually regulates the speed um i really like those because i can set them at low speeds if i need to and save a lot of money on power well i could save money on power i don't know about a lot i use those just to the exchange air between my lung room and my uh grows so that's what those are for so i guess they're exhausts or whatever you want to call them lung room exchange um and then inside the rooms I have on the, and hanging on the wall, I have those, uh, I believe they're called hurricane fans hang on the side of the wall, but I just have the, they do oscillate, but I have them one on one wall turned to be steady going in a certain direction. And on the opposite wall, the same, you know, to keep the airflow in a circle around the room. And then I do the same thing with floor fans on the bottom of the room. So like box fans or actual floor fans I have in my flower room, I have actual like metal floor fans that have the stands and um, i really like those because they're low to the ground you can have they're pretty much at ground level and uh, they're tall enough to be just around the top of my uh, containers the sip containers it seems like so i'm getting airflow above and, and kind of below and i really like how they like move it air in like a column across the bottom of the room but i do the same kind of thing whereas i try to move the air and like like you're stirring a, a pot of water or something and same same kind of um, airflow I've always thought of it as kind of like a little racetrack of air or whatever. You're just kind of yeah. getting it to uh, rip around and, and you're supporting it with the air from the other fans. Obviously you don't want them to work against each other. And uh, I think interestingly enough, air is sort of like uh, water in a sense. Like if you look at fluid dynamics versus aerodynamics, they're actually fairly similar. And uh, if you've ever been in like a, a pool that has like that vortex or if you've ever gotten into a stagnant pool and had a bunch of people run around the outside you can get a bunch of momentum going in the one direction and then even once you stop it just continues to keep cycling and cycling so like let's say your power went out or they were drawing less uh you could get it started at one rate and then dial it down and continue to keep that air moving at a pretty solid rate so it's interesting and uh and a cool effect that i've definitely uh, taken some advice from some OGs in the past who gave me that same tip. So uh, I def definitely recommend it to people, but uh, next up I'll pass it to the American one and kind of give you a rundown of your ventilation setup. Are you running uh, exhaust? Are you running sealed? And uh, what kind of fans do you like to run and anything uh, special about your setup there? Yeah, I have, um, I pretty much have the HPSs in most of my flower tents and even when I don't, they all had the exhausted hood. So when I take out the hood, I just leave the tube up there at the top of the ceiling. And I actually have um, my air getting sucked out of the tents through the lights into a filter that blows through the filter outside the tent. And 
takes the heat out of the top or of the lights, either the top of the tent where it's hottest or at, through the lights where it's the hottest and uh, puts it outside of the tents. And then I have two, I have a uh, fan on the floor and a fan at the top, just circulating there inside. And I have ports open on the very bottom uh, away from where that filter sits so that it's sucking in cooler air than, um, you know, just, just recirculating that hot air back in. And I have in the, in the my one area, I have two tents that is the one fan sucks constantly sucking out of both. And I believe that, yeah, it's more prudent to leave the fans on constantly 24 hours a day, all the fans on. If, if you're all right with that and you don't mind the electric, I, I mean, yeah, that's definitely uh, advisable in my opinion. And yeah. that's pretty much it. Uh, the one, oh yeah, my one area. So I have to suck it out of both and have an AC. So it's also cooling the air inside the room. And it's a very small room. Once the tents are built into it, it's only like two feet on each side, maybe maybe even less than that. But in the front and the back, I have to squeeze through to get to the other side. So it, it seems to keep temperature good and humidity better as well. Uh, a little more consistent. In the, in the winter time though, it does get pretty dry because I don't have the AC running again. Um, I do leave the, the, the window cracked open just so there's some sort of air, uh, you know, I don't, it's not really changing, but at least there's something, but yeah, that's what I do. I'll echo what you and Spartan kind of said with having uh, like variable rate uh, exhaust fans and also maybe just running them 24 hours. I do know that they make like ink birds where you can set a certain relative humidity or certain temperature that will come on and off. I've tended to have a little bit better experiences where I just have the exhaust fan set, like Spartan set on a dimmer where you can dial it. Like let's say for example, my tent set, 65% humidity, which might be a little bit too high for where I want it. And I want to bring that down a little bit. I just crank that dial up and then you literally watch it drop down to 60 and then 55. And if you dial it up higher, you can get down to 35, 40, whatever it is. And uh, if you have a appropriately sized exhaust fan for your space and you're ventilating it regularly, I think uh, you can get a pretty good regulation on relative humidity through those types of means. But I'm yeah, curious. I have a dimmer switch for my exhaust so that in the wintertime I can lower the exhaust at, so because it's cool enough. I don't really need to be pulling out as much heat, and that doesn't hurt. But I I like keeping the, the fans on the inside one because of mold and uh, like definitely humidity issues at night. As um, I've experienced it personally, so yeah, microclimates yeah. can form so quickly as soon as the lights go off, and if there's not any airflow. Uh, that stagnant little moisture pockets can form and that's when molds and mildews can really start to creep in pretty fast so brandon i know you're almost exclusively on the uh, larger scale now so i imagine you're going to be coming at this from a little bit different perspective but i'm curious if you have any thoughts on ventilation uh maybe even air purification being on the more commercial end and uh airflow in general um so we have all at the facilities all commercial hvac hvac so our rooms will recycle air. Uh, it's usually dry air. So um, we have to add uh, we have to add moisture into the environment. Um, and the larger the biomass of the plants, the less we'll actually have to physically add. Um, and then also the larger volume of soil that's in that room, the less we'll have to add. So it's kind of a factor of looking at 
what does it look with what how much you know humidity is in that room with fully saturated beds without plants how much humidity is in that room with fully saturated plants i mean fully saturated soil plus plants um and I we run it everything pretty hot and humid um but when it comes to air circulation all that air is circulated it does go through filters which get changed out every month um it's you know kind of again it's commercial commercial setup on on that end for all the places that i'm actively working with uh, and then air movement so air movement can actually be harmful because too much air movement will actually close the stomatal opening which will stop your trans your plants from transpiring so if you have a lot of air movement in an area and it seems like your plants are stunted and they're not taking up nutrients or they kind of look like something's wrong Oftentimes, someone might actually mistake uh, wind burn for nutrient disorder. Uh, there is an actual number that's like, this is, that has been shown. I can't pull that number out of my head right now, but I read a science white paper that shows the optimal amount of air movement, which is best conducive for, you know, this certain variety of plant. I was going to say, do you think it varies from one cultivar to another cultivar? Because I just speculating, so, I would think well, like an Afghani like would be different than a Hawaiian. Some things like nutrient uptake and stuff like that, they, they vary and they can vary widely in like what the plant actually, you know, physically needs for development. But as I've seen, air movement isn't really so much one of those things the biggest thing that we have to take in consideration for our air movement is that we want movement consistently throughout the whole place we don't like you said we don't want stagnant pockets of air and the reason is is because pathogens you know that is the biggest uh the biggest problem that people have when it when they don't have proper circulation of air so, you know, that's one of the things that I look at. And so there are different things that you can do. If you really wanted to get scientific with the space, they have these sensors that they use in things like wind tunnels, and it maps out the aerodynamics of that room for you. So you could take one of those sensors technically, and you could run it with your equipment running. And then what that will do is it'll build a digital map of what the air circulation within that environment looks like. Um, and then you can also get the wind speeds uh, I forget what they, how they measure it, but they have a, I can't why I'm brain farting so hard on this uh, specific tool, but they have an instrument and it measures air movement. Yeah, the so one I've seen looks like a hockey puck. It's like hung from a string and they're like, it was actually uh, marketed with a grow light, but it would hang down at your canopy level. And it looks like a hockey puck with a bunch of like little cutouts in there. And as the wind passes over it, it can judge how hard, what direction and all the different pressures and things like that that the wind are placing on what would be your canopy or plant with with this specific sensor what you would do is you would map out a room by taking different readings from different spots in the room and then building a collective data map um i can show i can show you guys the youtube video it's like an hour and a half video from one of the uh colleges that's doing some ag science stuff um and so there's there's actual numbers for that if you want to know what they are they're available i just can't produce them off the top of my head 
Um, as far as the way that I cultivate, um, I have beds. I always use beds. I use 12, uh, 12 inch deep beds as opposed to like the 18 or 12 foot. It's more cost effective. You use less mineral inputs. The plant roots don't really go deeper than that anyway when, I, when we're talking about clones. Um, and they're also, the length of that bed is on top of a plastic pallet. And that plastic pallet allows for a lot of air movement underneath the bed. And so if you go into my facility, we have fans that are on low speed circulating air around the environment, but we also have airflow moving underneath our beds. I think that's crucial. I think Spartan mentioned that he kind of does a similar thing where he has dedicated fans beneath the canopy or even beneath like blowing down on the ground, keeping that airflow in the root zone and just ensuring that because that is it tends to be a pocket. There's a lot of moisture there from watering and, you know, the plants can get bushy and, and block out airflow down there. So allowing consistent airflow is going to be huge, I think, for keeping good root health and plant health. You're going to avoid those pathogens. My home grow, which is it's I have two like I have a tent. It's like a two by two and one that's maybe like two, uh, maybe two and a half by two and a half or something like that. And those, they just have a Vivosun. It's like a four inch kind of like triangular intake fan on it. Actually, I can show you guys if you want to see it. Switch the camera around real quick. Let's see it. And so it's already cool in my room. So because I have AC in my bedroom and this is just in my closet. So if you look here, I just have these two things and then I have a little uh, control box. And so what this does is if my uh, temperature gets above 86 degrees, my little intake fan right here will kick on. And what it does is it pushes air into this tent here. And inside my tent, I just have this little like fan that's mounted and it's a USB rechargeable fan that I can just plug in with like one of those little phone bricks. And I have a couple of clones that I just put in here, a little light. It's really, really simple and it's all sealed. And then there's a sensor down there. And then it'll also have a ultrasonic mister that gets plugged into this humidity port here. And that ultrasonic mister will, uh, it'll keep it humid in there. And it's just like, I'll have something like the size of a Coke can in there with a little ultrasonic mister that's like about this big. And I just, you know, add a little bit of water to it every day and it keeps, it'll keep the, uh, the temperature and the humidity where it's supposed to be that way. I love keeping it simple like that. I mean, with a decent tent, you mentioned Vivo Sun. I think for the exhaust fan, I use them as well. I've had one running. I mean, it just kicked out after four years and I probably could have cleaned it and got it back to working, but I just replaced it because it wasn't too cost prohibitive. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's it's cool that you can have like 25 bucks on Amazon or something like that. I bought a light off there for I think like 67 bucks, same brand. It's like a hundred watt LED board just to put in that other tent. I mean, those things don't require a lot, man. For clones and early veg, but uh I think for a later flower, it's it's good to do your research and get a good light. And uh, speaking of lights, I know Doc is uh definitely well versed in that side of things. So first I'd want to get your thoughts on ventilation and then maybe you could I know Brandon in, in the group chat asked about a 2.5 by 2.5 light. I don't know if you're satisfied with the Mars or if, if Doc has any recommendations for something that small. 
but uh, I'll pass it to you. Two and a half by two and a half feet. I think that's what Brandon's in, right? Oh, a little two by two. Yeah, that's how big the space is. Uh, and are you growing full cycle in there, primarily like seedling starts, stuff like that? Oh, you know, I already ordered. I already ordered something, but yeah, it's a. Uh, it is a. I have two different small tents in there, like I just showed you guys, and they're both like two. I think they're like two by two, and then one's taller than the other one. Yeah, I'm putting that one in the shorter one where I'm flowering at. I gotcha. Um. Anyways, we're talking about ventilation, ventilation, I guess, is the primary uh, topic for the night. So I guess, what's your uh, take on ventilation? Do you do any air purification or uh, like carbon filtration, anything like that? And then uh, what's your air movement and stuff like that? Yeah, exactly. There's two kind of things here, right? There's airflow or air exchange on the one hand, and then there's air movement. Um, Air movement, you know, is at my scale is usually just a single clip-on fan and again we've brought this up i think a few times in the last few weeks like the oscillation uh, you know is overrated it, it, even regardless of the size of your grow um if you're finding that you want oscillation you probably need another fan or you probably don't need oscillation but in large rooms you know and at a commercial scale we usually put fixed fans in you know a tent there's all sorts of issues with that so that's all I really got to say. I do agree with with Brandon too that too much wind can slow plants down um, and certainly be a problem. So having air movement is important with those fans. Now air exchange is like a totally different thing. It's a different animal. We do air exchange for conditioning, um, and there's really three main parameters that we need to condition in the air. Um, the temperature, the relative humidity, and the carbon dioxide. Um, and of course, there's two different ways we can go about that. We can either cycle air through with an exhaust fan um, and do air exchange or seal up the space and condition those three variables with equipment, you know, set the temperature with air conditioning, the relative humidity, and add carbon dioxide back. Um, so if you're doing that, then you don't need air exchange at all, but you still need air movement. Um, I guess those are my sort of theoretical thoughts about this. But yeah, I usually grow with air exchange. I usually, you know, in a two by four tent, um, which I've run a few times lately, um, just a little four inch um, AC infinity with a, the T series. So it senses the temperature and humidity and you can set it to exhaust. And then in the four by four, I've used a six inch, which is kind of enough, <laughs> um, but I'm not growing in the summer right now because of that. You know, I'm building out this room and you're going to hear me sort of talking about this more and more as it gets into like actually starting to build it. Um, and, and this is one of the things that I'm sort of debating now in order to keep going, in order to grow year round there would need to be some cooling not a lot of cooling and I'm, I'm sort of looking at, at you know the options in terms of keeping a ventilated space um and how to manage a ventilated space with cooling you know taking the the flip into like a fully sealed space it's much 
bigger sort of cooling and dehumidification bill. Um, and generally for home growers, I think it's, it's worth, you know, using ventilation if at all possible. Um, you know, in some climates, it's just not, but then there's this hybrid thing where, you know, you're using ventilation, but you're also trying to do some air conditioning and just the reality of any system like that is the air conditioning is not going to be very effective. Um, you can get away with it in a lung room, but you know, it, it's interesting sort of thought. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of debating around these things and whether or not I want to um, either take the plunge. And I think I've pretty much decided not to take the plunge into a fully sealed room. Um, and so now do I want to set it up to be able to, to sort of have an AC option when it starts to get hot, but still be exhausting. I think sometimes it might be a fight worth fighting, but like you said, it can be a struggle when you're exhausting to really get use out of the AC and definitely agree with you on the point of, uh, if you need an oscillating fan, maybe just adding another one is going to be more effective. And even at the commercial scale, I, I can definitely like for the third or fourth time recommend don't use the six inch clip on oscillating fans. They might catch on fire. Yeah. Many people have had them burn out, but uh, a few people have DM'd me like, Oh man, like that almost happened to me. And so the more we get that word out, the better. Uh, and I think that it's definitely always a good thing, but even at the commercial scale, I see like hurricane is a pretty popular brand. And those are almost always one of the first failure points. I see at any commercial grows so that wall mounted hurricane fan oscillates or whatever, and then they stop oscillating and then you've got to have another one. And they're not cheap to replace necessarily. So it's kind of a pain in the butt if you, you know, don't necessarily even need it. You know, you could get fixed ones and think about how you set your things up. There's a big that. market there for sure on the commercial end of things for air movement. There's some really, really super high-end expensive options that work well. And there's some fucking cheap options that work well for about one grow. And there's nothing in between. There's, there's a big hole in the market there, I think. You can actually tell a lot about a, a commercial grow and sort of how they run things based on which wall fans they have, along with some other equipment. That <laughs> Absolutely. Up, but like, sort of like, okay, these guys are, are, you know, buying the cheapest stuff and they're buying it on every run or they've gone with the sort of buy once, cry once approach to things. I agree with that part. What's that super fancy? Like, I think it's German. It like hangs upside down and it kind of looks like a little, I don't know, uh, Think Boston like a spacecraft Boston. almost yeah i think they're like six or seven grand on like the low end they're pretty damn badass though but gml but it, it's not like the claims that they say like the area that it's supposed to cover it, he's like take that and put it i think he said in quarter it's <laughs> like grow light like it's like the old grow light claims yeah yeah I want to say happy birthday to Spartan Grown because I know he tried to sneak by and not let any of us know or say anything, <laughs> but the chat has outed him and there's been yeah. lots of uh, love and cheers from uh, Skillbo and I think a lot of the others in the live chat. Yeah, thank you guys for that. Happy anniversary of the day of your birth, kid. Man, thank you. Thank you. I've been I've had a great fucking day. I've been high off my fucking ass most of the day. So I was able to go over to uh, my buddy uh, Bake's house and he had a new toy over there. Shout out to Bake. He uh, hosted me and uh me and uh my friend and we had a you know the old school water bong you'd make with like a two liter so this is made out of glass it's called like a grava grava bong or gravitron gravitron i think is what the brand name was and it's like so a glass vase that you fill with water then you have if you picture like a two liter with the bottom cut off of it made out of glass but the neck is made so that you can put a 14 
millimeter uh, bowl into it. And so you just put that in there with your bowl and your weed. And it's a big ass, it's a big ass bowl on it too. And then you uh, get your bacon, you light that fucking weed and you start pulling up on the, on that glass inner piece. And it just fills that just milky, milky, milky. And you just go slow and just watch it go. And then uh, you, when you get it full, you pull the bowl and then you let it drop back down and it just, you just inhale. I mean, it just for shotguns it into your face and uh, you just intake these huge hits and uh it's amazing it's like taking flour like yeah that's that's it right there that's the small one there's a bigger one too but uh yeah it's like a concentrate hit it's like taking the dab like you start sweating and fucking it you cough like crazy you know and uh well not it's not as bad as what i thought though a lot of the stuff we to take we just a little bit and it's like a delayed cough like later on like you're taking so much smoke it's getting to places not usually usually get smoke or something stretching the lungs out yeah, like I was sitting there and literally five, ten minutes go by and then I burped and like a cloud of smoke came out. And I was like, what the fuck? So I'm going to have to uh, send you a Bokashi Earthworks shirt so you can get rid of that Athena shirt that you're wearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah please do. Please do. <laughs> That's funny. A tip for anybody who makes the uh, homemade gravity bong or even with that one. I don't know if it has this feature, but a ping pong ball floating in the water. So when you press down, the water will never splash into your mouth. Because that's one of the only downsides. It's like bong water oh, is notoriously broken. gross. Oh, dude, that's a good tip there. That is that's gold. So like I use a two liter for most of my high school career of smoking cannabis. Uh, you know, getting super <laughs> high off gravity bong rips or whatever. And uh, we figured out if you just put that ping pong ball right on the top of the water in the bucket, so that when you pull up, it's just kind of floating there, and people are like, "What's yes. that for?" But then when you push down, it literally caps the bottom side of the two liter mouthpiece, so you can push down as far as you want. And it'll push all the smoke out through and the water gets stopped. You don't want to be like reckless or anything. Some water might be able to squirt through if you're crazy with it, but it's definitely a, a good s- solution for gravity bomb tokers out there. But with the uh, airflow that's topic, it's a good idea. I, like that. I know the our splash in your mouth is so refreshing, Jack. <laughs> this thing did have like a little bit longer neck, so it did help with that, but it's still possible. Like if you were to go real forceful with it, I'm sure you could get some splash. Good to avoid that splashback, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll pass on the uh, refreshing bong water. Uh, <laughs> sips there. I was already doing the the engineering, the the stoner engineering with them. I was like, look, dude, it's just a fourteen millimeter. You could probably get an adapter so you could get a banger in there. <laughs> Gravity dabs. <laughs> yeah, man. Kyle uh, from Predicative Breeding, I think, talked about how he used to use a five gallon in like a pool. They'd be in like a swimming pool and they'd put like tin foil over the top of like a five gallon plastic jug and then torch that. Yeah. Holy so, that's some intense shit there. But yeah. on the topic of airflow, our person who hasn't gotten a chance to speak yet is our IPM expert, Matthew Gates. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on the air movement, uh, ventilation, and uh, filtration topic. Yeah, I do. Um, you know, I when we were talking about this, I was like, I was uh, very frenetically looking for an example of some fans that um, uh, I was at a grow that I um, helped out with. <laughs> and uh, um, it, it was funny because the, the fan system, like it was so, it was so bad um, because like they had let the paint or like whatever the coating was on the, the, the cage of the fan right? They weren't like bad fans. They weren't like oscillating fans. They were like, you know, horticultural fans. 
um, the greenhouse space. But uh, yeah, it was just so gross. And like, you know, I don't know, like, please clean your fans, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> maintain hygiene with your with everything right but like specifically this i just feel like it's a thing that's easy for people to like either put it in or install in such a way that's hard to do and that you might like uh not do it because of that um or that you know it could have a sort of contaminant or sort of fouling effect and i wish i was able to find the 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 pictures or videos i have of this because a very old greenhouse um very obviously from a uh, previous non-cannabis grow um also based on the location and things like that but anywho um i was not able to do that so but but other things that i think of is um when i worked more with uh, the horticultural growers like with gerberas and things um you know displacement of humidity uh was a big thing you know having knowing what those dead spaces are for example is definitely important for kind of um assessing and then hopefully like eliminating factors that help uh, powdery mildew and botrytis and things like this grow. Um, and it's also certainly important for this too, for this crop for cannabis, right? Um, I was actually just talking to somebody, you know, and because uh, this is like a number one misunderstanding of things like powdery mildew and botrytis, um, but specifically powdery mildew is that uh, no, it's not systemic. You know, a big part of, a big part of these pathogens um, is sort of like not allowing the organism, like the spores or whatever, to get into your area in the first place, but you can't always do that. Um, so the second most important thing is to not make a space or sort of like a, um, neutralize things that would make like a high humidity uh, increase. Like a humidity spike often influences fungi to like germinate or their spores to germinate. And um not saying that you will totally eliminate like microclimates and things that happen amongst the foliage. Right. Um, but that can definitely do a lot to like help keeping it from, from germinating that sort of a thing. Um, and the, I think it's a very interesting take for the, uh, for the testing of sort of the aerodynamics in your cultivation space. I'm not sure how much that technology is democratized. Um, maybe it's actually kind of, I would imagine it could be pretty easy to, to do how necessary it is for like a cheap home grow. I'm not sure, but um, uh, it's one of those things where like, if you're taking your home grow um, to like a next level, I think that that'd be kind of a neat technology to, to peruse. And you might also sort of gain a greater appreciation for like finer subtle details, like um, psychrometrics and VPD and things like that. Um, so I think that's very interesting. And, and certainly it should be said that a lot of uh, insects and mites and things, they will travel on wind currents. So if you're growing indoors or really even outdoors, um, you know, there are jet streams and air streams around outside your property for outdoors. Well, you know, those uh, things can drop off. Um, if you're indoor, you know, you're more protected, but at the same time, um, if you're not totally like um, up to snuff and there are places where things can get into, um, you know, that's a different kind of wind flow, I suppose, but things can get in or they can crawl into like a, through a space or in your door or something like that. Um, and one more thing about that is that there's a bunch of benefits to sealing up if you're in a, co a, a commercial space, but also, of course, a residential space. One, you'll save money 
on insulation costs and things like that, um, which is a pretty simple thing. So there's a bunch of other things that'll make your life a little bit simpler if you're able to like um, seal off your like front door or your grow space door or something like that, your grow room. Um, every little bit counts. I was just going to bring that up because that sort of was getting back to my earlier point about, you know, using a ventilated or a sealed room. Like in a commercial setting, one of the reasons that you always use sealed rooms is because of IPM. I mean, it's just such a tremendous advantage. And one of the the big weak points, I think, of a ventilated space is it's less biosecure just by virtue of the fact that you're cycling through so much air through that space. Um, I definitely agree with that. I I think it's uh, not helpful to sort of like just assume everything is fine if you're growing fine because like something can come in on the wind literally and uh, mess your plans all up like a farm Certainly. right next to you spraying pesticides yeah. like that drift happens and people if they're not accounting for it like and they're just sucking in the fresh air from outside and that farm sprayed a shit ton of pesticide they test your crop for that pesticide you fail even if you didn't even if you weren't the one who sprayed it on there even if you don't know where it came from it uh sometimes comes down to litigation if you're lucky enough to be in a legal state where they can say like hey this pesticide drift for from my neighbor's farm and they should be held accountable for it but uh it's not always perfect and it's best to avoid the litigation in the first place how about the california fires and the souring of all the various uh wines and um cannabis as well and viticulture and cannabis for that matter yeah exactly so that's it's a real thing that happens and um, sometimes you can do everything right and somebody 500 miles away from you or more, you know, can really uh, ruin your day. Yeah, Mess it up for everyone. That's one of the, the huge advantages of growing indoors in a sealed room is that if you have all of the equipment that you need, you can create the climate to grow your plants. Um, and, you, you know, you don't depend on the neighbor not spraying pesticides or, you know, a volcano going off down the road or something like that. I'm trying to imagine some of these other scenarios that you guys must have running through your heads. Uh, I'm curious for Matthew, um, a question about carbon filters. Is it more, is it going to offer you any more benefit other than just hiding smells? Like are those going to maybe deter or limit the amount of molds and mildews that are growing within a grow tent or grow space if people are implementing a carbon filter into the grow? Yes. Yeah, I agree with that. So uh, they're exhausting, they're filtering the exhaust air, not the air that's coming into the tent with the carbon filter. So what I've, what I've done in the past is I've had the big stand-up uh, charcoal filters, and we'll just stand them straight up long ways in the rooms. And then right on the top, what we'll do is we'll put an intake fan, just one of those, uh, you know, those uh, circular fans. Yeah. So that way we can bring air into it and filter air in the room through the charcoal filter. Yeah, I do. And so if you have a large facility, you could put up, you know, a couple of those in the rooms and that will also help mitigate, uh, you know, spore drift. Yeah. In, in a sealed room, I usually use other types of filtration, oftentimes in the HVAC system to, to clean the air. Um, oftentimes HEPA have filters. You like, like, you guys are getting ahead of me. That was my follow-up question was, uh, <laughs> is there like a MERV, a HEPA filter or UV air purifier or some sort of yeah, recommendation? Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. But you're, you've got to be in a sealed space before you're going to really use that effectively because 
otherwise just stuff is going through so fast like the uv things need a certain exposure time to to sort of sterilize the air and the idea is you know in a certain cubic volume of air um it can sterilize a room or you know if you have enough of them um with the hepa filter you know you're not gonna you're not going to HEPA filter air that you're exhausting immediately. It's just going to be so expensive. It's already pretty expensive to go to the HEPA filter route for doing that sort of internal air quality in a commercial space or in any kind of sealed room, but it's plausible. And I mean, it, there's definite benefits from doing it there and in a sense where it's not really plausible in an exhausted space. Yeah. I was going to say that um, like, it's kind of like the same with the physical barriers and the netting. It's just like at a different scale, right? So like, um, you know, you can't, uh, you know, and I just lost my train of thought, dang. I'm sorry, <laughs> I shared screen and probably threw you off, but I was just showing a visual representation of kind of what uh, Spartan and Brandon, I think we're kind of describing where you've got the exhaust fan essentially on top of a large uh, carbon filter. Uh, this is actually from the music video um, Medication by uh, Stephen Marley and Damien Marley. And this was at a former prison, interestingly enough. These stairs are like, this is a prison facility that they converted into a canvas grow legally in California. So I thought it was just cool as it kind of pertained to our conversation and uh, was a good way to kind of represent what that looks like when you've got the- That's exactly what it is. And you, and, and it's like old school tech, man. A lot of the OGs just been, they've been doing that for years, you know, in the gardens where they just throw those in there. And it was, you know, before we didn't even have carbon filters, but like when they came on the market, it was like, oh, we could hook these up to our exhaust. We could put these in our rooms. You know, you, so you'd have dudes that were exhausting all of their, their exhaust through the carbon filters. And then they would also be doing the same thing in the room, you know? I heard people were using ozone in their exhaust vents. So they'd run yeah. the exhaust into an area that had ozone running in the exhaust. And then they'd pump that out to a different area where there weren't plants or people. I knew a guy that did that and his weed had no smell. I believe it. I mean... That stuff uh, tends to spread more than people are aware of. And if you're running it in your ventilation and things aren't perfectly, you know, set up, which in those times, uh, a lot of the times people were setting things up themselves <laughs> or hiring a friend who kind of did it like a yeah, little shoddy back alley deal. And uh, yeah, UV is something that I, or not UV, UV also, but um, ozone is one of those things that I don't necessarily play around too much with. I know Spartan oh. Grown has some experience using it in water, I think at work, but um, as far as like the generators go, I'm a little bit nervous about them myself personally. Yeah. And you don't need them. Especially now with carbon filters and other ways to, you know, manage the smells and things like that. I did want to notice the thing I had mentioned earlier was, um, just that, like, for example, if you're using like a net or a screen, you know, obviously kind of like what Dr. Coco was saying, you know, like moving that air through different systems is, is expensive. And like, if you don't do it, if you don't want to do it superfluously, it's probably a great idea. But, but uh, um, sometimes they can even work to your disadvantage, not just like in a financial way, but also like, for example, with physical screens and barriers, you know, airflow is a big, big problem. If like there is none, even if you're like able to protect yourself from like bugs and things getting through, well, you might get mold spores germinating when you didn't before because the humidity is kind of trapped because the air is still a medium and it's being kind of captured through that um, through that space. Um, it's harder for it to just freely move in between that uh, that screen. So like things like that, like you know, it's it's uh, something we don't think about, but 
if you give it a few seconds, sort of intuitively makes sense as a thing to consider. It's definitely something that I think uh, is worth considering because it's easy to overlook. You know, you're getting set up or you're already set up and maybe you think that you have an adequate amount. Um, I would be interested to know whether it's like measured in, I think wind is in knots, like at least in aeronautical things, but or naval. It is in America. But yeah, it could be measured in different units elsewhere. And for horticulture, I'd be curious to see the studies out there because like Brandon kind of mentioned at the beginning. I'll pull, I'm sure I'll pull up that picture. I'll find it for you guys and I'll drop it in our chat later on. And I'm sure there's like an ideal range that they found kind of like with the PPFD, for example, where 90% of plants or 95 or 99% of cannabis plants will fall into a certain range. But I still personally do believe that there's going to be those picky ones out there that maybe like it a little bit higher velocity of wind or drier for whatever reason. And some stuff's going to like it a little bit slower, make, more humid. It would make a lot of sense that the ideal wind speed would be correlated to the the both the temperature independently and the vapor pressure deficit um so you know as the the temperature of asia pressure deficit were higher um the ideal wind speed for that plant would almost certainly be lower than if the temperature or, or vapor pressure deficit were lower um so i would expect there to be sort of a, a plot at least with those variables there may be other variables that would would have some effect but i think temperature and vapor pressure deficit what you just said makes sense to me because the i believe colder it gets the drier it gets so then you would need less airflow and the warmer it is the more moisture you can hold for like the ideal vpd so you could maybe have a little bit more airflow to prevent any of the nasty bad stuff that we want to prevent well, as the VPD gets higher, VPD is is sort of how fast the the air is going to suck water out of the plant. So high VPD is going to suck water out of the plant quickly, um, and you wouldn't need a lot of airflow to accomplish that. Um, in fact, having a lot of airflow may, may cause the plant to lose water too quickly and and shut down. Um, so under sort of really high VPD, you would want less airflow. Under lower VPD, that, that means the, the air is less likely to suck the water out of the plant. And that's the, the condition where, you know, you'll get these high humidity pockets of microclimates hanging around the leaves because like the air is just already dense with water. And in that situation, you would want more wind speed to sort of blow off that those microclimates and increase transpiration from the plant. One thing uh, about air speed that I've noticed, or it could just be, you know, I'm not doing perfect science over here, obviously, but um, over the years, something I've tended to notice is certain spots of the room, like early in veg from a seedling or a clone, if there's a good amount of airflow, maybe let's call it like whatever is needed, the, the base necessary level, the plant will grow thicker stalks, thicker branches, and uh, just generally healthier than like the one that's maybe a little bit in the back corner or somewhere where the air is not moving quite as well in my experience. So like, that's why I kind of noted earlier that I tend to err on the side of like a little bit more airflow, but that's just sort of to avoid any stagnant pockets. Like once you've got that adequate amount, I think you're fine, but it's just about getting as much of the plant into the region that has an adequate amount yeah. and avoiding those stagnant spots that you might not see because there's so many little leaves on top of leaves and it's so easy for us to look from up here at you know five or six or seven however many feet tall you are 
over down at your, you know, two, three, four, five, six tall plants. And then from your perspective up here, you see one thing, but like, once you kneel down, you see another thing. And then like, once you get down all the way down, like at the soil level and look up at it, you'll notice every spot of the canopy is uh, very unique to the rest of the canopy. And it's uh, important to consider all of it, not just what you see from the bird's eye view. I see people kind of, they take that Instagram photo, like, oh, look, my canopy is killing it. And then if you pan underneath, there's powdery mildew because they didn't clear out the canopy or there's, you know, Hermes and stuff that they didn't even see because they didn't check. So it's always important to uh, maintain good. Uh, I think it's crop scouting would be the IPM title for it, but just making sure that you're doing a good job maintaining your plants as well as the airflow around them, which seems obvious, but uh, it's something easy to forget. And if you're fans like mine right now, I'm coming up to a harvest and about to clean my gear. It needs to be cleaned. There's no way I can go another run without, like I have two cats and they're very, very furry the back of the fans trap some of that fur and I can literally like take a wipe and pull it off and I can see the fan go from like, you know, 50% power back to hundred percent power in just a few seconds. So it's worth that, but I'll even take them apart, uh, spray a little bit of lubrication in there. Um, there's like electronics lubrications, like something a little bit better than like a WD-40 that can keep these things lasting for a long time, but they are so cheap. I keep one on hand because, uh, I've seen them literally break into a million little pieces because being under grow lights for a long time, that cheap plastic, I think starts to wear, you clip that clip and that clip goes from two pieces into like 50. So anyway, I'm rambling on a little bit here, but I'm curious if uh, anybody else has thoughts or general ideas about the uh, airflow, air filtration, or uh, this topic in general that we haven't touched on yet. I just thought it was great. The um, scientific term of very, very furry. <laughs> not just furry very very furry <laughs> if you google either one of the breeds persian or maine coon it's like the highest there's like a one to ten spectrum and they'll have like little paw prints like how furry it is you know compared to okay. one to five and they're like five out of five or like 10 out of 10 like always and they're also on like the neediness scale really high but enough song cats that's our extra allergic you're extra allergic to cats is what you're saying no, I'm saying, oh, I'm, I'm allergic to cats. Me and my dog are allergic to cats. But we would be extra allergic to those dogs because they're extra, extra furry. So we <laughs> Double, double. It's like an in-and-out, right? You get the double, double, not a double. Just you get the double, double. You're like, oh, man, you're really stoned, aren't you? And I'd be like, nope, you got cats. <laughs> That'll get your eyes lower than a good weed, interestingly enough. But um yeah, does anybody have any uh, questions or thoughts, comments about the uh, airflow kind of topic before maybe we switch into something else? The only thing that we didn't really talk about is, is um, one thing that's kind of along the cheap home grow line is you can get these controllers like Inkbirds, things like that, that are fairly cheap and inexpensive, plug them into the plug and then plug your device like your fan into that. And it can make it so you don't have to run your fans the entire time. If if you know you can set the parameters to what you want it to, to turn on at or turn off at but if the parameters in the room are such that the fan doesn't need to run you don't have to run it the whole time and you can save money so those things are pay for themselves pretty quickly i think and they're a good idea if you don't have anything at all you're talking about almost... using them to control the exhaust fan right spartan yeah exactly not the like clip-on fans not the clip-on fans, no. Yeah, the exhaust fans. I'm sorry. Yes. So, like the, like for example, the ones from, um, the ones from, uh, what's the new ones? The ones that the big ones. They AC come with Infinity. a controller. Yeah, AC Infinity. They come with a controller that not only will they 
they come with their own controller, but they control not only senses temperature, but also humidity. So it can be controlled on or off and be triggered for yeah. either environment. They're pretty swanky. Their new tents have like a little area that like built in a little uh, for stand screen. Yeah. for the screen. Yeah. And um, I will say, I said one of my favorite items, I think we said like, what's your favorite grow item a few weeks ago, like uh, something that you purchased that did well in your grow. And I said my silencer for my exhaust fan, because although those Vivo Sun fans are inexpensive and they might run several years with no issue, they're really loud relative to the I've heard and seen these um, and they're not even that much more expensive. I almost kicked myself because if I would have spent 20 more bucks, I would have just been able to get a uh, whatever brand we were just talking about. <laughs> AC infinity. AC infinity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're the AC infinity. It seems to have very good build quality. And I like that they have the temperature gauge on there. It's, it's a, another, I guess like a man who has two watches never knows what time it is, I guess, but I like to have multiple points of reference, like to see what my temperature and relative humidity is just to gauge different points in the room and make sure if one of them's like way off, it can kind of be like a canary in the coal mine might be the right term here, but uh, something that gives away the fact that there's a problem earlier than maybe the other sensors would have because uh, one reason or another it shows up. But yeah, I, I definitely haven't personally tried them, but I've seen other people locally using the AC Infinity with good luck and, and tons of growers. It seems like they're one of the more dominant players in the market now. And they don't just do um, cannabis, you know, exhaust. They, they do all types of stuff. So like if you need an exhaust fan for your house, I've seen they make some actually like pretty cool window units and things like that outside of the just four inch or six inch or eight inch exhaust fan. Um, so you can get creative with like if your house is your lung room and like here in Southern California, I don't run air conditioning. So considering something like that to make the area that the tent is sitting in more stable is uh, worthwhile in many people's circumstance, I would imagine. Yeah, the, the, I think they originally were in the business of uh, building out things for, uh, what was it? Like photography? Stereo cabinets and Stereo computers and servers. Yeah. So it's like important to be quiet, you know what I mean? Especially in entertainment and stuff like that. So um, I think that's why they, they're a little bit better quality. Probably bearings are probably better quality than we're using a lot of these other ones. Make them quieter. Funny enough, there's like uh, photography cabinets that could be used for curing because they keep the temperature and relative humidity in a perfect range. It's like a giant exactly. humidor and uh, they can be less expensive, especially when you look at like secondhand on Craigslist and things like that. Um, they're really interesting as far as having something that can be consistent to keep that dry and cure. And another topic, I guess, because I'm currently drying and uh, curing, I know we've talked about this a little bit in the past, but um, one thing we didn't touch on is like, what do you guys personally like to store your cannabis in once it's dried and cured? Because I, I guess I'll start. I like the amber uh, glass jars, but I know I think Aaron, the grower is not with us. He loves the turkey bags. And I know that he's since switched to like a fancier one. Uh, he, if you go back a few episodes, gave the actual name of the bag uh, because they're like de-static and they have a zipper. The turp lock bag. Turp lock bag. Okay. Yeah. So it's like a turkey bag, but you don't have the static pulling the track comes off the bud and you have a zipper on each bag instead of having to like do the old <laughs> fancy tie. But I think some people probably like that for nostalgia, but I'll pass it next to uh, the American one. How do you like to store your stuff once it's all dried and uh, curing? Yeah. I have a little like um, well, cabinet kind of thing. I just put them in clear basin jars and I keep, I save the case containers and I put them in there because I hate when they hit each other. It's so annoying. But if when I have a lot, lot, then like it all depends. But I've also um, I like those cheap metal tins, aluminum. 
And then you could, uh, I hate when the bags touch the sides of the bags, any bag touches the buds. Cause then it like, I know. And, and I got to uh, say that, uh, Aaron, the grower did say that those new ones are anti-static, but when the, when the trichomes get stuck on the bag, it just pisses me off. So I try to never put them in a bag, but what I'll do is I, I'll put them like when I mail shit, I'll put it in a tin and put the tin in a, in, um, a vacuum sealed bag so that it doesn't get crushed. And I'll put them in those aluminum trays and I'll put the, the whole aluminum tray into a turkey bag. Like, if, you know, for temporarily, usually though, like depends on how much you got to deal with. So for temporary holds, I'll put them in a, that aluminum tray, put it the whole turkey bag, wrap it around it and put it in like my armoire as well. Like never in the sun and try and keep it in a cool spot. But uh, yeah, I like the jars. I think the jars are best. And like I t say, I left one, you got to tighten those things really down. I don't even know if they really, really are 100% airtight, even when you wrench them down hard, but I think they are. If you don't can them, when you use a canner and put them in the hot water and do that, then they seal up. But or do the skill though, you can get a little pump that attaches to the top and sucks all the air out. Yes. It makes it without heat. You can can it can without heat. It. Yep. You could uh, make a vacuum in there. Yeah. Yeah. I got to so, laugh. Yeah, because... That's pretty much what I do. And I had, I do have that the, the vacuum sealers. So you get plastic containers that have a port that you could suck the air out of too. I mean, there's a lot of options, but I heat putting it just straight in the bag because of that, uh, you know, because of that. So that's my take on all that. You would hate when I open up my curador because I don't have any of those spacers between my jars and it sounds like wine glasses clinking around in there. I'm like, oh, what jar is this? Like clink, clink. But, you know, I'm just like clicking them all together because there's just a bunch of jars kind of pushed yeah, into a mini fridge. it's amazing that they never break too. Sometimes they're thick, dude. Like that's, I know, but. I've yeah. dropped mason jars. They're so durable. They're yeah. made for like being boiled uh, with food. Wood, buddy. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I will, but uh, they've uh, definitely done me well over the years and uh I just think it's funny that that's a great idea to keep the little box that they come in so that they have the little sections. I think it would definitely take up a little more space, but it uh, avoids them rattling around. Uh, Spartan Grown, how do you like to uh, keep your buds once they're dried? I like uh, glass still. I've found uh, at secondhand shops or shops like um, TJ Maxx and stuff, I find big glass mason jars, or it doesn't have to be mason, any brand. But if I find any big glass, I, I, I buy them immediately. And so I have a shelf that is right next to where my dry room and it's attached to it. So it has the same 60, 60, um, environment parameters already set for it. And it's dark. There's no, not even a light in there. So you'd have to take a flashlight to go in there anyway. And, um, so darkness is already taken care of. So just regular clear glass, but they're big containers. And that's, what's really what I like. It doesn't always work out. Sometimes I get some big, big yields, but usually I can get a whole, Cause I usually only do one plant of each strain so I can get a whole plant in one glass container. So I get like homogenous, you know, for the whole strain, it's kind of all homogenous in one container. And I love that. That's Why do you like the big containers as opposed to having just multiple smaller containers? For that last part I was just talking about, about like homogenous, how I have the whole strain all together to like mix together and, and become homogenous with itself or whatever rather than to isolate it and then try to homogenize smaller bits. I guess it's the pushback. I would just say there's going to be more dead space in a larger container, like more air, right? Especially as you start like sort of emptying the, the larger container, which oh, yeah. inevitably happens to my containers. I don't know if you suffer that same problem. 
I I do have would have more dead air in it, but that the air that's in there is 60 60. You know what I mean? It's in a controlled environment. It's not like I'm opening it. I don't take those containers. Those are the big containers. If yeah. I want, I, I have a little head stash that I would, yeah, that's going to be an issue in my head stash jars for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, they're smaller jars anyway. Yeah, I hear you. All right. There's always trade offs, right? Yeah, for sure. I like it just to be all together. I don't know. There's a thing for those. Like, it's easy for me to keep track of it. I don't have 30 jars, but I have one jar. Else, do they get lonely when you put it them changes in the cure? Jars? It changes the cure for sure because, like, I just brought down some velvet punch and I have two jars and, like, most of it's pretty heavy on like the fuel side of things. There's touches of floral and touches of like grape in there, like almost like a fermented like wine kind of grape. And certain jars are way heavier on like the fuel. It's just like it's all gassed out essentially because like uh, I would imagine some of those nugs in there kind of permeated into the rest of the jar where some of the other jars still have a little bit more of that subtle nuance of floral and uh, berry like grape in there so um, i think that if i had it all in one jar maybe i'd get more berry in some of the gassy stuff but then who knows it, it'd be something that i have to do side by side experiments with and i think curing honestly is one of the least understood sides of things in cannabis and it's, it's fun to talk about because everybody sort of has a little bit different um, way of going about doing it and we all come up with results that are satisfying to ourselves and um, a lot of us I think have said you know glass jars dark cold that's a pretty consistent um, but I'll pass it to Brandon I think I can see literally on a stable uh, glass jar with some cannabis in it there so Brandon uh, is that your go-to method as well and anything special on top of that no I just put everything in glass I like to smoke my weed when it's fresh I don't like it to age sit around for a long time and like oxidize the the uh, terpenes and the cannabinoids and make it a little more like sedative, obviously. And when THC gets oxidized, it oxidizes the CBN. And, um, some of the terpenes will oxidize. So what I like is I like to pick the profiles that I really like to smoke and I like to smoke those fresh. And I just try to, you know, keep it fresh. Like this jar is almost down to the last bit of it. And it's all mostly shake, so I'm not so worried about it. But if this was all like good weed, I just probably end up putting it in a smaller jar, you know, so it doesn't oxidize or whatever. I have different size ball jars. Something about the, uh, I think you just hit the nail on the head there by saying ball. A lot of people call them mason jars, like colloquially. Um, but like the brand, depending on where you are, if you're like in Canada, it might be called one thing. I think they're like Springfield jars somewhere. Uh, they're ball jars here, but there's a whole bunch of different brand names for what is like known as a mason jar and uh, yeah. all of them have been pretty well, good mason is just one of those brands we just so it's get... like kleenex then i think mason yeah. is a style is more of a style because um sure. if you if you're over here in the states you're usually looking at ball jars i mean they're like i think they're like number one uh brand of different style jars because you could have that type or you could have like this type right here the type is a they're canning jars um, and Mason, I'm, I'm like 99% sure is one of the big manufacturers of them. Mason lost his patent for the jars, but, uh, yeah, there's a, a guy, uh, who made the Mason jar and now ball and Kerr are the main Kerr, brands. Yeah. I've had Kerr jars in the past. Yeah, too. Mine had... are, are balls now. Yeah. Oh yeah. My ball box says Mason jars on them. So it was originally a guy's name. Okay. Yep. According to Google and the first few things. 
it was an 1858 thing. I mean, they've been around for a long time. My grandparents used to, or great grandparents even were canning like vegetables and uh, fruit for the winter using them just by boiling uh, to sanitize it. And then once you put them in there, you can kind of boil uh, different fruit and like preserves uh, yeah, or different exactly. nights, but until it basically like makes like a pop sound for a lot of them, it'll uh, create a good seal and last basically all winter. Not necessarily the way we recommend storing your cannabis in them, but yeah. No, definitely not not the same method. But I do think Skillbo is onto uh, the right path by he puts the stuff that he's not going to be smoking on like right now. He sucks the air out of it with a little vacuum sealer. And I think more so for Tao's reasoning, it's a good purpose because I have arthritis in both hands. I've broken all my fingers. I tighten down that jar pretty much as good as I can. But those uh, lids get a little crooked or bent or off center and they don't necessarily seat perfectly on there and if you don't seal it all the way down there might be a little air gap in there so you're not actually in a sealed glass jar anymore so yeah, doing so it's like the, it's the gasket at the top a thing. you gotta check See, the gaskets on the the top of the lid and make sure that they're not dinged or damaged that's especially when the lids separate which most of these jars have separable lids it's that little gasket it can get damaged if it like comes out and i don't know something happens so to it and certainly specifically with this brand of ball jar if you listen you can hear that click. And if you've canned right, what will happen, it'll create a vacuum. Or if you're using the vacuum canner, it won't it'll, snap anymore. it'll suck this down and you won't be able to click on that. So yep. if this seal is broken, you know that. that right. But most people aren't able to, to vacuum seal them or heat seal them with a vacuum. So that, you know, just to be sure that you're not getting air exchange, um, check the seals. It's not the threads of the jar, the threads of the the lid that sort of create the seal point it's that little gasket along the top of the lid which is like a cheap one cent little rubber ring it's like an orangish reddish yeah yeah you, you that's why see. you know you can take the 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 threads off and if it's properly sealed like that thing will still stay on there you know and sometimes yeah. you have to like pick it off um and you can buy those lids separately the just the lids is. yeah yeah but I've also seen these things be deteriorated by certain cultivars because 100%. they'll, you know, terpenes that can kind of like what they act as rip a salt. It, rip it off. They straight up strip the rubber. I mean, like Matthew and many others have mentioned, terpenes are caustic at certain temperatures. And like even in a jar, once they start off gassing in there, they start working on that seal. Like I've seen, especially with concentrates in the little uh, smaller jars, they make like a terp ring around the top. And some of them will like bust open and, and rip through it and it's a uh, terpenes are really crazy when you get down to it especially when you start isolating them and concentrating them but uh even within flour like if you have a, a jar that's sealed tight and you go to your car or whatever and it's 80 90 degree day your car gets to be 100 degrees and that all those terpenes start to volatize within that jar you go to open it a lot of the times it'll literally make like a pop sound when you bust it open they'll so also They'll also affect hash quality oftentimes because if you have certain types of terpenes that act as solvents and you're in a drying process, like maybe you're in the vac chamber or not the vac chamber, the uh, freeze dryer or something like that, and those uh, trichomes bust open and they release those solvents, they can degrade that outer fatty lipid on the other trichomes and start a chain reaction where those, those trichome heads uh, start to uh, degrade. Or even in, in even in solution stuff like that when you're washing. Yeah, it's crazy what they're capable of doing, and I think uh, I haven't gotten to Matthew yet on how you like to uh, store cannabis once it's been dried. Usually, just like most of the people I've heard already, like the typical 
uh, canning jars, to be honest. Um, that's what I typically do. I don't have a whole lot of, um, you know, <laughs> I think that's kind of traditional, I suppose. Um, I have like, I think I mentioned before, I've received like uh, some like really, uh, you know, space age, like UV uh, deflecting or, you know, uh, reflecting uh, jars that are like purple in coloration and like airtight and all these other things. It's very important. You know, you have that going on, but the Myron uh, glass, like a uh, Spartan is showing us here. That's like the apothecary kind of jar that blocks yeah. out the most possible light. Getting you that extra 0.1%. Keep it I those find that simpler and less expensive to just put it in uh, the dark. Yeah, a black yeah. painted jar works just as well. Or, you know, yeah. uh, amber ball jar. Glass generally yeah. blocks this a bunch of my stash jar. So what I have sitting out on my table to smoke. So I keep, I use this. Mm -hmm. Extra careful. We're connoisseur smokers here. We can't take any chances. We need the highest quality, highest cannabinoid content, highest terpene content. Absolutely no light degradation. Then they don't clean their bong. That's right. Save all the terps. I got BBC balls for my like carrying around, and I I don't know. I just looked at the cover, and it has like that same colored rubber as a mason jar. I wonder if it's a uh, different or not. But the sea ball is another good option. I only have the little guy, but I, if I was. It's so not stupid so, expensive, yeah. I wonder if anybody's still using Altoid cans and film. Uh, I guess film containers probably. probably uh, I was name. on Twitter the other day, Brandon. You wouldn't believe. I, I guess I'm, I guess that's outdated. But I wonder if Altoid cans are still being used. I know. Dude, I was using a fossil watch tin. I saw for a while. Fossil watch tins. The what? I remember. I used to get all my bags. Fossil ball. watch tins. Get all my cheap oh. ass weed in a cheap ass sandwich bag. Not even have a zipper. You know what I mean? That shit you got, on you got rolled up, you got a lick, a lick and, and, and tuck. <laughs> yeah, the lick and tuck bags, exactly. That was before there was resin coming off of it. <laughs> if I like, my wife works at a delivery service, I'll get something. If it's in a large Mylar bag, I'll even take that and then transfer it into a glass just to get it out of the Mylar or whatever it comes in. Like some stuff in the legal market comes in, uh, you know, cardboard box inside of a little plastic baggie. And then you, it's like, that's not going to preserve it as well as glass in my opinion and experience. So I think that a lot of us uh, have gone the glass route for a reason, right? It seems to so, work. Hey, out there, out where you're at in San Diego, cause you know, I'm from San Diego and I, you know, I, I never went to any like legal dispensaries while I was out there doing my thing. Is there, is there like legit good weed? Because from what I hear, it's all pretty fucking pretty mids. There is, but you got to pay for it in the most part. Like I can name probably five brands that are actually legit, like LA Kush Bros, Wonder Brett, 710 Labs. Um, I'm blanking on uh, Cannabiotics, uh, just to name a few. And they're, you know, going to be high end, expensive AFs for the most part. They're like, you know, that $65 eighth, unfortunately, sometimes stuff's even more expensive than that. Not the stuff that I've been purchasing. Uh, I get most of the stuff for free, full disclosure. And uh, my wife works and she's like the person who purchases. It's pretty much over here. Well, I would say the, the last thing I wanted to say about the legal market, uh, like good cannabis is there's really affordable stuff out there that is actually pretty good quality. That's sun grown. Um, like we get there's Humboldt's uh, Humboldt Farms. And Humboldt's Finest are two brands that are sun-grown, but I've tried them and um, they've had consistently really good stuff. Like I've got Oreos, 
right now from them. I have their Hella Jelly, which is a Humboldt Seed Company. Pretty. How good. do you like their sun-grown Oreos? I know I've Fire. grown it out and it was good in organics, but it still lacks in the flavor department like pretty badly. It's beautiful weed though. See this one, um, maybe it's just where it's being grown at. I don't know, or what, what type of soil they're growing it in. It is all organic. They're Humboldt's, Humboldt Farms sources from like a few different groups. Um, that's like the, you know, in California, you've got the grower, you've got the middleman, and then you've got the dispensary or delivery service. So a bunch of different farms run under the Humboldt Farms uh, flagship, essentially, because the distributor buys from like three or four yeah, farms. Yeah. But that being said, I've had a lot of really consistent, uh, good stuff for the price. I mean, it's, it's cheaper than I get stuff from my buddies in the traditional market. I'll say that. So to be able to buy something that's been tested for molds, heavy metals, pesticides, all that good stuff or whatever. And then also in granted, I mean, it's, it's sun grown versus indoor. So it's, that's where the price savings was coming in. But I personally think that some of the sun grown stuff is like as good or better than some of the best in grown stuff, indoor grown stuff, yeah. because the terpene expressions in some of the cultivars and it's not always that way, but I'd say like one out of 10 times, I'd like the outdoor version more than the indoor, indoor version. I think indoor is more often a little bit more consistent. I do. Um, I think we eat with our eyes first in a lot of ways. Like I think as much as we might say, Oh, I don't care about bag of fuel. It's nice to have a really frosty ass bud or like a really sticky bud that you're feeling it on your fingers or like it smells really strong. All those things before you're going to have way on your opinion, whether you want to admit it or not. And I think smell, I mean, aromatherapy is a real thing. Like smelling those terpenes, even if you're not smoking them, I'll smell a bud and it changes my mood. Like even if I didn't smoke it, I'm like, damn, that smells really fucking good. Like I, I fucking killed it that crop. Or like I'll smell something and be like, mm, this is a little bit weak and it's disappointing. Like I don't even want to smoke that. So um, I think it can alter your sort of mind state without having to actually uh, combust it or vaporize it. Uh, I'm yeah, Brandon, I got a question for that came up in chat. Eric asked, uh, can you ask Brandon Russ to explain on his video on calcium loading in veg, um, avoiding lockouts and et cetera, when you're loading calcium in veg? Yeah, so I was going to do actually a follow-up to that post. So calcium is highly dependent. The, the movement of calcium is highly dependent on um, – the uh, plant's ability to transpire and move water from the soil through its plant, through its tissue. And so calcium is, you know, a certain amount of it has to be falling into solution as a total percentage of that solution to get the amount that you need. And so we're looking at, what I'm looking at is the saturated pace test to make sure my PPM is falling into solution at the right rate. And then also, um, if I'm, and I'm, uh, looking at, I'm just adding it. Right. So for veg, we get that really high when the plants like really healthy, we want to give it as much calcium and nitrogen as we can. So that way we can kind of switch the, uh, uh, the nutrient kind of, uh, percentages up when we flower, we drop calcium a little bit and that will make phosphorus more available, more available. And then, um, and the reason why that is, is because um, calcium and phosphorus react. Calcium's a cation and phosphate is an anion. And so they'll precipitate out a solution and both become unavailable. And so when you drop down the calcium level, you get more higher availability of the phosphate in solution. And then also you'll, you can push 
uh, potassium a little bit harder as well because the calcium won't will be you know won't be um, as high and it will you know allow for a higher uptake of that potassium as well. So these are just my little outdoor plants out here in my garden. I have what strain is this that you're playing with? Oh, these are both limerillas. This one right here is the one that Kyle hunted out. And then this is my breeder cut right here, which is a little smaller, but oh, look at Got him. the die. Unfortunately. RIP live execution. The cheap home girl <sighs> lives for this. Well, he died. He blew up when I smashed him on the cement. <laughs> Ripping pieces. So yeah, um, and then and then so what happened was I put that post on there. I was talking about exactly what I just talked about now, and people were asking about, well, how do I do it? How do I do it? The way I do it is I'm looking at the amount of calcium that's falling into solution, and then they ask, well, how can I foil or spray? Yes, you can use your you know K and F solutions to get calcium in there. You can use you know gypsum in your watering. Um, you can add, you know, you can do foilers. If you're doing a foiler, obviously uh, there's things that you have to think about, which is one, your VPD needs to be correct so that the stomatas are open when you're spraying so that they can receive the most of that, of the benefit that you're giving them. Um, two, you need clean water, right? You don't want water that's going to be reactive to the calcium that you're putting in there and make it precipitate and not be in an available form for the plant. And so um, you can do foiler applications or you could add it in solution. But me personally, uh, the way I'm, I'm able to do it is because I'm actually looking at the data. So I can look at the tissue to see how much as a percentage and I'm looking at saturated paste and soil. So that's how I know to do it and how I know how to do it. Um, but if you're just taking a guess at it, the best thing that you could do is just spoon feed small amounts of things like amino acid nitrogen, along with something like uh, gypsum, which is calcium sulfate. Or if you're afraid of bringing in too much sulfur in that system, you can do calcium silica, which is wilastonite, um, which is uh, will have the benefit of the calcium and the silica. So there's a couple of ways that I approach it um, using either of those. And that's the same way that, you know, anybody else could too, you know, but you just have to use your visuals. If you're not testing, you're going to have to go off of, um, you're going to have to go off of, you know, visual data observations and as opposed to, um, you know, physical data that came from a lab. Reading the plan versus not, reading the test. Are you testing in-house, Brandon? No, I don't test are at you my house, all your but time? I just, I, I, I don't need to, man. I don't need right, to because this this soil right here that that they're in, it's soil that I made myself. You know, that's right, the book so soil. So it's already balanced that soil. I already know what it looks like, and it's got enough, it's got enough nutrition in there to get me through. I'll probably almost a flower. I'll feed in some microbes and some hum humate fertilizer a couple of times, but I'm not going to need much right there. It's going to be very, very minimal inputs because I already started off. I mean, look, I have, you know, my bag soil, which we'll have labels for that. I'll put that on the website, but it's already built specifically for cannabis. Since, you know, I have my other stuff in there too. And I don't do much out here, man. I just kind of come out here. I, I hit them with some water, spray them off. I don't 
you know, do a whole lot. They're pretty neglected. I actually, the only reason they're out there is because I didn't want to throw them away because I took all the clones that I needed for them to continue the, the genetics and keep a mom at my facility. And those were the old moms. So I just threw them outside. Well, how, like, how about at the facility? I mean, do you, as you spend all your time testing stuff, is that pretty much the day now or what? <laughs> well, no. no um, people send me their, their soil recommendations and I'll go through them as I get them. And, uh, it's, you know, pretty straightforward, pretty easy. Uh, I just do them as I go, but I've also built a nutrient calculator too. So it'll be all, it's all automated. Um, we finished the beta testing and now it's being written in computer language. So that way we can plug it into the back end of the website. And so what that'll look like is anybody who goes and gets a, a saturated paste test in a, or a standard and saturated paste test or what they call a complete test from Logan Labs can go take that data and then go onto my website and they'll be able to just plug in the information and it'll spit out an automatic reading. It'll say, you know, like it, for instance, it does things like this. If your sulfur is high, it'll recommend it, but your calcium is low and you need to supplement calcium. Instead of recommending gypsum, which is high in sulfur, it'll recommend the calcium silica right it'll recommend whatever mineral nutrient that you need to bring that into sufficiency and balance and it does it automatically it gives you a little graph it says you need x amount of this mineral nutrient per yard of soil and so somebody can just essentially put in their tests look at what they need and go on the website and then order whatever it is that they need Sounds like a solid system. I will say uh, I saw Spartan break out a system earlier that I haven't seen him with too often. Maybe it's a new one. It looks like you were doing a torch dab, and I knew that you had a doctor dabber, but is this a new piece for you over there? It's actually actually it's an old piece, but the banger is new. So I just took the took the bowl out and put the banger in. Uh, I thought I recognized it, but I just I'm not used to seeing Spartan torch a nail. I was like, what's going on over there? What were you dabbing on? For my birthday, I got. Um, Shout out to anything grows on Instagram. She got me a uh, a gram of this stuff called pineapple upside down cake, and I, I was love talking it. about it before. Yeah, and it, it and this shit tastes just like there's pineapples like in your mouth, as far as the dab goes. And it's fucking. I mean, the only thing better would maybe some clementine from Ferroli, but that's it. I mean, this is like some of the best dabs I've had in a long time. That's one of my great white buffaloes. I talk about like three or four years ago on 420, I passed on that clone because I thought it wouldn't live up to the expectation. And I got a jar of the flower even, and it smelled like straight pineapples with like a little touch of vanilla. Great high. Oh, it's spectacular. It's from Humboldt Seed Company for anybody yep. who is looking for it. They still sell seeds. It is amazing shit. They, actually, the seed seller here in town's got a pack for 90 bucks. So I might uh, hunt that down. It's fucking uh, good. It's I, shit. I like it. I definitely lot. recommend it. I mean, I, you might have to be like a somebody who likes sativa or uplifting smokes. Yeah, it's sativa for sure. Yeah, it's it's definitely not going to like put you on your butt or make you go to sleep. But if you're looking for pineapple flavor in cannabis, that's like true. That is definitely a good route to be going down. And in, in my experience, I was blown away by it. Yeah, I've been pretty much fucking high off my ass all day, so I was getting kind of tired. So I was trying to trying to dab my way through it with that sativa to try to give me a little bit of. 
little energy. <laughs> Dude, I did that with sour diesel today. I got some sour diesel live resin. And uh, I know that there's like a lot of speculation and, and arguments about who made it, who's got the real one, what's the fake one, this and that. But like sour diesel, in my experience, every representation I've had of it from everyone, from the recreations to the originals to everything in between, crosses of it. It's like, for me, it's always just been great smoke. So whenever somebody's like, I got some sour diesel, I'm like, I am willing to try that because usually it puts a big fat smile on my face, picks me up. I was like exhausted, woke up a little too early, uh, didn't get as much sleep as I was expecting, kind of dragging, start puffing on this and it like brought me back to life. So I, uh, I was actually honestly not, not even going to show up for the show. I was going to be like, Hey, when are you guys host? I'm like so tired, but then the sour diesel, uh, saved the day. So definitely a big fan of sativas being able to, uh, really actually have that true medical effect to pick you up when that, you need a little extra energy. That's a good test too, right? When you're tired, smoke something and see if it does truly pick you up to tell if that really, if you're really getting that effect or if it's just in your head, you know, sometimes if you read up on the strain before you just smoke it, you, it influences you a little bit. So I encourage people not to do that. Smoke it just unknowingly first and see what your impressions are. Then, then look it up and see if, if you agree or no. Or take advantage of one of the most powerful effects in medicine, which is known as the placebo effect. Trick yourself into thinking it's going to work. Tell yourself it's going to work because then you can smoke less. You can save yourself Absolutely. money. Like, oh man, this is some good shit. It must really be doing what it says it's doing. And the mind is powerful. If you tell yourself like going in set and setting for any drug, psychedelics, like cannabis is considered a mild hallucinogen, but to any hey, drug. Have any of you guys, have any of you guys smoked any creeper weed lately, man? It's been fucking years before since I smoked some weed that was like, Hey man, this shit hadn't get me high. And then like fucking 25, 30 minutes later, I'm like doing something. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I completely lose train track of yeah. thought and be like, I'm fucking high as fuck. What the fuck happened? The, and you're like, the Russell I just harvested is kind of like that, but I think I took it too long because it has absolutely no terps. So I think I took it way too fucking long, but it's, uh, it's like smoking air, but you know, you'll be four bowls in and you're like, this shit doesn't even get me high. And then all of a sudden, like you said, you're, you're off doing something that's fucking hammering you in the head. And you're like, what the fuck? Why am I so high right now? Or you're like sitting on the couch, you smoke like a bowl, smoke a second bowl. You're not, not really feeling anything. And then you get up to like, go make yourself lunch or like go, you know, outside to do something in the yard. And when you actually have to like be present and do something, you realize like exactly how fucked up you actually are. And yeah, uh, dude. one, I, I'll say one I like creeper. That. That was when I was in high school, I remember I'd be smoking and I'd be like, yeah, cool. I'm cool. I'm going to go to class. I'm like, not fucking high. And then I'd fucking be in class. <laughs> Sudden, I'd be fucking doing something. I'd look up and I'd be like, holy shit, I'm fucking ripped right now. <laughs> I love that experience. Uh, the one that was called Three Point Stance from Original Dankster, also known as Stay Fly Farms. Um, it was black triangle crossed to a GMO Mac male and it was one, it kind of had like a tropical Skittles uh, mixed with like a little bit of garlic flavor to it. And I smoked it one time and I thought that there was a time change because I felt like I lost an hour. Like I, and it was one of those where you smoke a bowl and then like you pack another bowl. You think that you need to pack another bowl, but then you look at it and there's only like one hit out of the bowl on there. Like it's so fucking good. You just take a puff and then you go back to it and you're like, holy shit. Like I thought this was empty and there's only one hit taken off of it kind of thing. So I love those uh, kind of delayed onset effect. Creeper, I think is a great term for it. There even used to be a strain called uh, creeper, but that was describing how it grew. It like was one of those sativas that creeped out to the sides. And it, those uh, branches would actually even root 
for some large outdoor plants. So you'd get like a little bit better structure because those lower branches would uh, help kind of stabilize the root system crazy enough. But I'm curious if anybody else has some uh, creeper strains that they've come across lately. Wait a minute. I think it's rare. And I would imagine that it's maybe more sativa related effect and some of that long flowering stuff that maybe people aren't growing so much anymore. It also depends on sort of wanna... you and where what what you're doing. A lot of it's I was gonna say that too. And yeah. how what your tolerance is. I think that that's more likely to happen when you're like younger than when you've been like to... smoking pot for 40 years. I was I gonna say as you get older, it happens even without it. So I mean although they exactly <laughs> I, I will also say that, like, I've had experiences lately where I, like, suddenly had to, like, interact with somebody. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so much higher than, like, how this is, like, a, a challenge for me to, like, form cogent sentences or something, you know? Um, so, I don't know. I've never been there. Yeah. both ways. I, I had a plant that was kind of creepy. The, the branches came out at 90-degree angle. I have pictures of it. And uh, it was, i only seen that, like, two or three times. I think that's really cool uh, structure thing. If it uh, the morphology, I guess. Yeah, because it's supposed it's in that marijuana botany. You know, you know there's pictures in there, and it's actually like a, a structure, a creeper plant. So that that is totally cool to me. I had the, that effect today off of that gravity bong, though. Where it was like a creeper, like. You took the, all that smoke and it like it took a while for your body to like realize it or absorb it or whatever the fucking case was but i just as i sat there i just kept getting higher and higher and higher i'm like god damn i was like after two gravity bong hits i was sitting there like fucking struggling a little bit and fucking sweating taking my head off and shit and i was like damn it's fucking hot so it's been a while since i've gotten that kind of high it's been a quite a while so and that was a flower I saw some video about how like coughing can actually technically get you higher because the combination of like hypoxia, which I think is like the lack of oxygen while you're coughing, um, going to your brain as well as like the cannabinoid uptake. Uh, I can't remember the lady's name, but she has a Instagram where she like holds up like cannabinoids and like the uh, chemistry structure. I wish I could remember her name, but no, you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. She was supposed to get back to Michigan. They were supposed to have like this biochar supply and all this. And I still never heard back. I was like, What's up with that biochar? I'm pretty sure that she got banned off of some of those, um, if we're talking about the same person. Yeah, she got banned off TikTok and a few other yeah. stuff, things like that. So she'll like not use the actual like terms THC or weed. Um, but yeah, very interesting page. And I do think that they're... My page just got deleted too, man. That shit's fucking lame. But you know, <laughs> you, know me. you know me, I'll have it back tomorrow. Yeah. I will say, like, if you watch these videos from, like, Baba or, like, Afghan underscore selection on Instagram, these old Afghani hash heads who've been, like, smoking hash their entire lives for the most part, they go in there and they've got this, like, group chillum or whatever. They've got this giant, like, coal ember burning on top of, like, a giant bolt of hash. And then you got these old guys just sucking on this pipe, ripping this thing as hard as they possibly can. And when they exhale, they're, like, coughing almost to, like, vomit. <laughs> like, they cough so hard after they hit it. And somebody, when I was growing up, always said, if you don't cough, you don't get off. And, like, that kind of philosophy. Yeah, cough, get off. I and I think, that. like, the gravity bong, I think there's something about, like, if I sat and just rolled a pinner joint, right, the skinniest joint I could possibly manage, or, like, a, the smoothest vaporizer, and I just took a puff off of it every so often, 
versus smoking a one gram gravity bong bowl all at one time, like the same one gram of weed. I think when you consume it all at once and it just hits you like that gravity bong, you're literally consuming more. And in Spartan's case, like he traveled around with cannabis smoke in his body. Who knows if it's absorbing more for how long? And then when you burp and let that out, like that is absorbing more deeply. Like when I hold a hit down longer, I feel like I get a little bit more effect. I know that they say you're only supposed to hold it for a few seconds. Try it. Hold it in for like 10 or 20 seconds if you can. Never over a minute because then you can actually like cause brain damage from lack of oxygen. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think like even a bong for me, that's why I've always been a bong smoker. The big rip just kind of gets you a little bit more medicated a same, little more quickly in my experience. Me. I think they have a better experiences to me, the same energy as being told to just, oh, just run off those shin splints. Don't worry about it. Just run them off. Just keep running. And, you know, those shin splints will go away, which, of course, um, was not correct. But, you know, uh, (laughs) definitely led to some pain in my legs um, uh, after all those runs. Guard check. Right. Yeah, I've, I've done that myself as well in track in the past. It's shin splints don't heal by running on them more. You got to ice and rest. But I do think that uh, maybe just like like anything, if you consume something quicker, like a, a shot of alcohol versus drinking a beer over X amount of time, uh, even if you can get to the equivalent amount of alcohol percentage, I think when the human body takes something in really rapidly versus delaying it over a longer period of time, it's going to hit you a little bit more uh maybe strongly than the one that was slower, but that's just my stoner uh, philosophy or theory. I'm just spitballing here. I don't have any data to support this. This is coming off my own, uh, you know, experiences. Tell you what the flavor was pretty goddamn good too. I was surprised off the gravity bong. And when you think about it, it makes sense. There's like nothing. It's pure smoke. There's nothing for it. To... It doesn't even go through the water. Right. That's the crazy yeah. thing. The water only acts as a gravity. So you're actually getting like a really kind of hot smoke versus a, yeah. a, a traditional bong because going through a bong, maybe there's terpenes lost in the water. Like when you smell bong water, it smells disgusting. Right. And there's resin in the downstem. I change my water twice a day now, at least. And I run like a hot water soak. I try to get it as clean as possible. I have a little down scrubber for the downstem or whatever. But even then after one, two, three bowls, uh, oh, that yeah. water starts to change color and you can smell it. It's like there's something technically probably being lost, kind of like ice water hash. When you wash it, yeah. there's terpenes in, in the water. That's why I switched what? to dry sift personally. I think dry sift is a lot easier to make and often just as good. So like why go through all the extra elbow grease when I might be potentially losing terpenes to water that I'm not going to be recapturing unless I use a different method than most people with the bags. Yeah, this is why the gravity bong water is refreshing, Jack. It's not like real bong water. <laughs> So, yes, uh, come on over to Doc's house. We're going to be taking shots of gravity bong water. <laughs> just the splash, you know, just a little splash in your face. It knows you got a good hit. Like, if you what don't about... get a splash in the face or cough, you don't get off. I think that's the flavor. Wait, you guys seen that, that one that's cough. Shaped, it the cough. That shaped like a pill, though, right? And you fucking, and you spin it. That is not a gravity bong. That's a hookah, and it's bullshit. Don't buy that cookies, garbage, rebranded. It, it's the Seth Rogen thing. Everybody's seen it. looks like my mic. I've never heard of this. You can flip it around. Okay, so there's this gravity bong, so to speak. It looks like a gravity bong. I mean, it acts as a gravity bong, but it's made to be a hookah. That actual device, it literally looks exactly like my mic. There's a a top chamber and a bottom chamber, and it just flips, and then there's a hose on the side. And it's actually supposed to be connected to a hookah hose because it's meant for smoking tobacco, shisha, hookah. But people have adapted it for cannabis have you uh, seen a single person who can actually take that hit it's like that off the hookah 
Well, I think it could still get you high. I'm not saying that it won't get you super ripped, but that being said, like it, I, everyone I see smoke it wastes 90% of the bowl versus like a gravity bong. It goes straight into your lungs with that. It's like yeah. blowing a little stream out and you're like trying to, it's it almost looks like somebody with like when they used, we used to smoke hash off of like a hot coal and you'd have a funnel over it then you'd be, you know, whatever hovering over it and trying to inhale. But some of that smoke would inevitably waft around and get in your eye and, you know, be lost to the air. So I, I don't know. I think that there's still a. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool to have a hookah, have a whip, fucking sit there all like the fucking uh, caterpillar and Alice. If it came with it, then I'd be stoked. <laughs> but no, it's really expensive. They're like a five hundred dollar unit. Yeah, fuck that. Yeah, it's expensive. You can make it out of two water bottles and a three D printed plastic frame. Like people on, on the internet are. Uh, this is a cheap home grow, right? We're not a recommending. $600 hookahs or whatever that are branded by cookies enterprises who sells moldy weed and clones to people, um, <laughs> multi-state garbage enterprises, but, uh, cookies junk aside, I'll, I'll try and pull up the video of it to give people reference because it's worth seeing now that we've talked all this shit about it. So maybe you guys could, uh, fill the air on, on, uh, some bongs that you do like, or, uh, some homemade stuff that you've done in the past to smoke out of. Cause those are always fun little smoke conversations. Shout out to Eagle Gardens. He made this for me. And what do you call it? A shot, uh, steamroller. Steamroller. That's yep. what you call it. That's it. But yeah, there's two holes. So you got the hole to put your joint in, and you got a whole carb hole on the end drilled in. So you just put your fucking uh, joint in here. It's really cool to finish a joint if you don't have a filter. So you want to get right to the end of it. You put it in here, then you can just hit from this end, and you got a carb right here to clear it. And you can fill up this whole bottle and take a massive hit. And uh, it was pretty cool because that's what I'd like to do once I got really low on the joint. If I didn't have a filter in it, I'd stick it in here. And then pretty much once I filled up this bottle with smoke, it would put it burned through the whole roach. And I just clear it in one hit. Well, so, the whole joint with the bottle, dude, not just the roach. That's a steamroller. Oh, yeah. We used to I don't know if I could fill. I mean, I would, it would, this would probably a whole joint in this one thing. I don't know if I could fit it. It'd be like brown smoke by that time. It'd be like yellow and so thick. Oh, maybe you're doing it. Okay. Is there a, there's a carb to clear it, right? Yeah. This has a hole there's drilled a hole in the bottom. The joint, right? Carb in a hole. Yep. You don't have to do the whole joint in one hit is what he's going to tell yeah, you. Not right. the whole joint in one hit, dude. You just. <laughs> oh, okay. I yeah. thought that's what you're saying. I thought that's what Doc said too. I thought that's what I heard. How no, big is the hole to clear it? The same size as the hole that you can put the joint in. They're both the same. Oh, size. So you need a really big hole to clear it. So oh, okay. I used to have something like that. We'd smoke joints out of that, like was just a tube, and the whole end of the tube was open. So oh, you like so you just fill cut. this whole tube, and then you take your hand off and just get punched in the face with the rest of that smoke. You know what I mean? Pulling in. That's cool. That's the seam roller that I had, and they rip so fucking yeah, hard. It's like a one rip. foot long pipe, and you basically hold it like this. And you cover up the end and just uncover it. And then the bowl is sitting on top. Some of them, like, essentially, you're not going to want to have to pull a bowl like a bong, right? So you just have your hand acting as the carb on the end of this, like, open giant pipe that is basically like a bong mouthpiece. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a they bong. hit you like a cannon. Absolutely. Those are fun, man. You smoke a whole joint through one of those things, you go straight to your head, man. It is self-interesting how the intake methods really sort of uh manipulate how it feels like you can smoke the same strain a yeah. few different ways and it'll really hit you way differently 
Well, all of these, like a bong or the gravity bong or the steamroller, it, it all sort of gives you this big sudden burst of, of pretty dense smoke, right? As opposed to just mm -hmm. like puffing from a joint or puffing from a pipe or something like that. Um, and I think <laughs> I think you're we're all discovering sort of why that works because like any of these methods kind of like smack you. Definitely, I agree with that. It's almost reminding me of like with alcohol, you know, you can get like a hot toddy or something with alcohol and a tea, <laughs> right? And the the heat plus like, you know, the mixing it with another drink, you know, kind of takes the edge off the alcoholic sting if there is any. And pretty quickly, you know, you're pretty inebriated and you don't realize it. Brad Setter Farm hooked up the American one over here. I spotlighted. This is like one of the classic yeah. ways to smoke hash, like legit if you want to go old school. You can see I used it. I only used it once, though. So this is my, uh, I got it from Red Set of Farms. I don't know if he has any more, but I ordered it and I got it. Yeah, he's got more. And there's a little, uh, you know, little pl plug trap there. So what you do is you put your little piece of hash on the pen, torch it up, and then you put this on it, let it fill up with smoke. You pop this off and then you just inhale it. But I found that, yeah, water bubble hash, hash that, you know, it pretty much ran down the thing pretty quick. So I need to get me it'll some melt dry versus charring. Yeah, yeah dry you want to hash little char, or or a little uh, a little cup of tinfoil or something on there so that it doesn't go right on down. But yeah, Super I did hash. a couple hits. It's, I like it. It's really cool. It's really awesome. So yeah, check out Red Soda Farm. Yeah, Red brought one over to uh, Sequence's birthday party, and we uh, smoked it. And we found our <laughs> trick. A trick tau is uh, um, when you're hitting it to clear it, just crack the bottom to let air in from the bottom and that's like a carb it'll clear right. way faster you just crack the bottom and then you can just clear it real quick that's pretty yeah. cool like a baby lift that's, you just ever yeah. so slightly lift it off of that pad because even if you etch a little circle around there if you just lift it up to allow 100 percent airflow it, it kind of right. like the the steamroller effect where you remove yeah. your hand and it just opens 100 percent airflow a while back, I had this awesome, huge brandy snifter of a cup. I don't know if it was like novelty or whatever, but yeah, I used to put uh, put the put the hash on a tin on a pin and turn the, that brandy snifter over and do it like that with a with a straw or pen, suck it through, like just crack it, like you're saying. And then I had a roach clip that was like a trike. It looked like a trike, so that and the like the uh, the little roach clip was on the handlebars. So yeah, when I was at my parents' house. As a kid, I would put the, the dome, I put to have the roach clip on there, I put the dome over so it wouldn't smell at my whole room. And I would, uh, you know, conceal the smoke that way and, and get hits off of it like that. And also not let the roach burn all the way off on its own, you know? Yeah. Those are the three days. It's kind of like the power hitter. I don't know if you've seen those little like joint holder things. It's like a tube that. Yes. Those get you really ripped too. <laughs> but, uh, with that said, I know it's about 5.42 here on the West Coast, Spartan Grown. You usually uh, got to get prepared for the Michigan Bros Grow Show, let the dogs out, refill the tray, hit the bathroom, do all that good stuff. So any final thoughts and shout-outs before you get going? Yeah, I just uh, appreciate uh, coming on the show like every week. Um, it was great to see everybody. And uh, one other announcement I have I forgot to talk about was that uh, yesterday at around uh, 7 p.m., just before 7 p.m. last night, my son had a son, so 
I am a grandpa again, and this is the first time I have a grandson, and he's got the same first name as me, and a birthday right before mine, the day before mine. So that's pretty cool shit. So cool. Another, another reason I'm smiling a lot today. It's been big a, congrats, bro. Congrats, man. That's a great birthday gift. Yeah, I, I had a drive. It was funny. My son was at the store, so he had the car, and uh, his girlfriend was here, and she uh, her water broke right in my right in my living room, and her mom comes up into the you know peeks her head i was sitting in here she peeks her head around she goes um uh her the water broke on the carpet i'm so sorry i'm like i'm not worried about the goddamn carpet let's get to the hospital <laughs> <laughs> so, wow. uh, so it was funny i drove them all up there and everybody's good everybody's uh healthy and happy so uh it's uh good good stuff congrats. here in our household congrats Spartan. happy birthday to the two of you yeah hey, thanks man awesome. <laughs> it's funny how the how world works man it's funny how shit just fucking happens like that he was about a month early so but anyways uh, uh cheers everybody i'm gonna be on the michigan bros grow show here in like 15 minutes so uh we'll uh, see you again over there and uh grows love everybody it was awesome hanging with you grow love spartan congrats birthday, man big congrats it's awesome seeing the family grow first grandson huge accomplishment uh keeping his name I, safe I, alive i also have to go i have a podcast at eight for an hour on ig live with uh, my business partners uh for flowers cannabis company so you can uh i'll probably be using my bokashi earthworks account um and then uh yeah so i'll talk to everybody next week um thanks again and i'll see you guys soon Thank you for joining us, Peace Brandon. Out, Brandon. Have a great one. We love Brandon. Another week wrapping up. We've got uh, about 15 minutes left in the show. I guess we could go around and say what we're smoking on. I said uh, earlier I was smoking on a little bit of sour diesel. Got me going to stay up and awake for the show, and I feel like uh, I've been attentive enough. I'm, I'm happy that I did not cancel on you all, and uh, push it on someone else as the host, but uh, Tao, what are you smoking on with us tonight? Um, I did some, uh, I was doing the Blueberry by Cheese Creek earlier, and right now it's full of some straight up time wreck. And uh, yeah, time wreck is, it's like, uh, it doesn't bring you down and it doesn't bring you, get you all jacked up. It's pretty leveling, but you definitely know your stone. So yeah, I like it a lot like that i think some people would call it a hybrid or whatever but sort of more middle of the road not too much one way or the other i think a right. bunch tends to be that way too it's not like too heady or not too uh, stony in the body where it's gonna like put you to sleep right away or like the sour diesel kind of inspire you to stay up and do stuff they need to get done but uh doc what are you talking on with us tonight if you are indulging with us yeah of course i am smoking on some of kyle's new england rock candy from my last harvest um been kind of sort of rotating through the the four plants that I grew over the winter uh, and you know I think it might be my favorite I'm going back and forth between this and the the ghost train the evil plant um but every time I put the narc in it's like the the flavor is the narc New England rock candy it, it uh the flavor sort of I don't know I'm like oh this is good so uh, I'm happy with that. And I have like two more seeds. And I was just thinking as it was going to be my turn here that like one of these seeds, I should grow out a big plant and take a bunch of cuttings off and like spread them around people down here and, and get some other people growing this plant. I think that it's like some of the last seeds of the original sort of uh, run with New England rock candy. And I, I all the plants I've grown have been awesome. 
Good to hear. Glad it's uh, tasting good for you over there and uh, living up to your expectations. Uh, Matthew, are you talking along with us today? Uh, yeah, I'm having some triangle mints. It's, it's pretty nice. One of my favorites. Definitely some potent stuff. Uh, good flavor as well there. Can't complain. I feel like that one's a little bit more on like the what some would call traditionally indica or like more sedating for me at least. Um, but I definitely am a fan of that one. I do have the Seth Rogen. Uh, it's not really his thing. He just sort of has one and, and I guess sponsored this product. But student, I'm probably mispronouncing mispronouncing this Stunden glass. It looks like a German name because the U has the little double dot above it, ellipses. I don't know if that's the right term, but here we go. I'm gonna go ahead and share screen and then show Seth Rogen attempt to use what I believe to be a hookah to consume some cannabis. And like most people, he's going to struggle as you'll see here. Oh, I have seen this picture, I'm sorry. You're right. No, it was <laughs> pretty viral. I mean, it, yeah, it went around this video. and look, they label it Seth Rogen smokes prototype gravity bong on high times, but student glasses or Stunden glasses, the student brand. perhaps. Yeah, probably yes. Stunden glass. Not to uh, piss off all of our German viewers that we do have. <laughs> Sorry for the terrible accent. But uh, yeah, look, it's just like all that smoke just being blown out and, and wasted towards the end. And it doesn't look like, I guess I said, if you don't cough, you don't get off, but uh interesting this kind of uh, poor though, form right? like you could kind of like control how like by flipping it back the other way or no that could I, be a possibility i think like you could slow there, it down at least right? could you just like tip it sideways down like oh, I'm getting yeah i think that it starts pulling the smoke into the other end and then you start having like no uh basically freedom of smoke like when you start flipping it back and forth then it's always going to be sm blowing smoke but just not a stick of the smoke <laughs> from like, each side stop i'm high already I feel much. like, uh, yeah, I feel like this is poor form for Seth Rogen. It doesn't look like, um, you know, he's mastered the prototype in this video. <laughs> I mean, you got to give him props for trying something new, but uh, I'm sure this is just something somebody sent to him and it's like, hey, smoke this on your page and we'll pay you uh, 50 grand, you know, kind of thing. Pro probably, perhaps so. And it was probably worth more than that honest with you to whoever makes this device but yeah yeah i mean it's we're talking about it now so i guess we're technically giving them free advertisement. i want one man now i mean how? but yeah i've seen people 3d print them for a few bucks and wow. i think that's pretty cool you can make your own you know no i gotta i gotta say if he had just sit back calmly and was like hmm and like smiled at the camera that wouldn't have been as impressive to me i mean i want to see him like fall on the floor after that right you actually I guess a so. great point that is true. But to, to be honest, I don't think that he was a, not to say that he's like a, the, the greatest actor in the whole world, but I don't think that he was acting oh, there. No, well, <laughs> no, exactly. Might be a platitude that's, to that's say. A good proof of sort of product. That's what I want to see. I want to see somebody, if they're, if I'm buying like a gravity bong, I wanted to like, you know, knock somebody on the floor. I think that's a valid argument to be made. I think that it'd be cool if they included a like little whip or a hose like how a hookah traditionally is yeah. smoked. I think that would just make it a little bit more convenient so you don't have to like bend awkwardly down over this device that's probably going to be mounted onto your table um, versus like maybe you could pick it up and kind of have it like a bong and, you know, move around with it. But I think uh, it's it's definitely not your traditional thing, but it's, it's out there. It's worth talking about. I know plenty of us have probably seen it on the 420 pages that float around and it's, it's been quite viral for quite some time. And like I said, you can 3D print it yourself or probably find a knockoff version for much, much cheaper than $600. But I think it was uh, worth mentioning as uh, 
I can't remember what brought it up necessarily, but I wanted to actually show the thing versus just saying it looks kind of like my microphone, which uh, if now that you've seen it, you can kind of understand what I'm talking about because the way that it pivots and flips on the little base. But yeah, said, there's a different version that I know of that's like 150 bucks smaller. I'll I've even seen the link. I've seen it with like pineapples and shit on the top where it's got like decorative, uh, the, the glass pieces are different. If it is glass, it might even be uh, plastic, but yeah. Yeah, it's called a Ginny pipe, I think. I found it. And, you know, since this is cheap home grow, like, you get two, like, you know, a three liter. We used to look for the three liter bottles of soda to get, like, that as the base for the gravity bong and then use a two liter on top. Or you could always yeah, go with, yeah. like, a two liter and then a one liter. But the three liter bottles, man, is your base. You just cut the top off. You fill that up with some water. You get your other bottle in there. And, I mean, you're good to go. So, like, you, that's... I don't know, probably six bucks to buy the two bottles of soda. That's all you need. And that really works super well. The uh, Like you have a either a, a bucket or like the small uh, kitchen garbage cans. If unused, obviously brand new, the, the little plastic ones work well just to hold your water. And then no. your two or three yeah, liters. Here's what somebody needs. I don't know, they probably must make this, but just like a little pipe fitting that screws onto the top of a two liter bottle. Like a two liter soda bottle, a little pipe fitting. That's like it holds like a 14 millimeter adapter or something they could like put a bowl into. You yeah. used to use a socket wrench that we would burn the two liter cap and then push the socket wrench through that plastic so it would be like form fit. And then you'd yeah. grab like a screen from a, a sink and you've got your screen, your bowl, and uh, your little socket wrench. And it would actually screw on enough that it would create a decent seal. So it would, uh, it was very functional use the the pen tubes right from like your your click pens as the the drop spout for the bomb that was definitely a old school way i remember those little i think they call them like the yards the three foot long drinks that have like a the bottom is kind of shaped like a beaker and then the top is also shaped like a beaker we just chop the top piece off and then turn those into bombs but thankfully we don't have to be so uh, clever these days i think most people have good access to glass one of my greatest trips to the hardware store though when i was like in you know a sophomore junior in high school was like trying to buy plumbing fittings so we could like build our own bong i mean we had so much fun with that i gotta learn all about plumbing um so i don't know kids these days miss out on that they also seriously that's a physics experiment Hopefully they miss out on smoking out of tinfoil because that's something that I know I was exposed to in my early uh, cannabis days that I think that most of us could probably uh, say, yeah, miss, miss, miss me with a tinfoil. <laughs> I don't want to be smoking out of tinfoil at any point in my life anymore. That's pretty terrible for you. But this is the Ginny pipe that uh, the American one brought up. It's kind of a different take on a gravity bong. Um, they've got the demonstration here, which I'm kind of having a hard time getting to maybe i'll do control plus plus and then we could figure out how this works uh, you, if you scroll down it's it's the video is lower but i put a different link in oh so I see, anyway i see how this works you just it essentially tilt it and then you move the bowl from one side to the other yeah so. or just take the bowl out but i would i like if you look at the video clip it uh at least the water the water goes through i mean the smoke goes through the water so it's actually a little um Lower even further, one more lower box. It's like actually more of an actual bong where it's going to bubble. Yeah, click on that one. There you go. It looks what I like because you don't have to suck on it or anything. You just light it and then tilt it the other direction and suck it in. But if you watch, it go it will go through the water. So at least it go the uh, 
the smoke bubbles through water, which I like a lot. I guess th that must be a bigger version. That I don't even know if they showed what happens to them, but yeah, check that out. That is definitely a, a different take because, like you see right there, it's bubbling. Does it actually hit the water, though, is the real question. It almost looks like it's like the other ones just being drawn down. But when they start to actually inhale it, the exchange, I think there might be some smoke going through the water. There's like zero chance that I wouldn't pour this thing all over myself. Like after the third. Oh, I would drop this <laughs> in like, a heartbeat. I'd get, like I'd do it once while I was like sober and it would work out cool and I'd really like it. But like two hits later, like I'd be wet. Or it would be on the floor somewhere. I can only say it wouldn't last very long with me. Right? Like, which way do I tilt it? Wait, no. Why is the water coming out? Yeah, no. I would definitely drop that thing into oblivion. But with that said, this is the uh, final few minutes of the show, and I want to pass it to first Dr. MJ to give his final thoughts and shout-outs before we wrap it up. Absolutely, guys. This was a fun episode, kind of a light-hearted episode. Um, I want to invite everybody. We're doing our end of grow awards for the spring auto flower challenge, which wrapped up and we're doing, uh, we got like a rosin press and a light and a trim tray that we're giving out for best, uh, grow me, best journal and best recovery in the, uh, spring auto flower challenge. So that's going on in the Cocoa Pocanimous chat room, like in half an hour. And, um, good time to remind you that our next challenge is the plant training grow challenge. The flip day for that is October 1st. So start thinking about when you're going to plant your plants, when you're going to take your cuts or, or drop your seeds for an October 1st flip day. It's going to be a lot of fun in the PTGC. So I am Dr. MJ Coco from CocoForCannabis.com. And yeah, I had fun. Thanks, Jack. Thanks, panel. Thanks, chatters. And uh, we'll be back here next week. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thank you, Jeffro42069, for uh, reminding me of a good way to also get extra medicated is they, he says the good old Jamaican hot box where you, you basically just uh, go into the bathroom, turn the shower on as hot as it goes, put the towel under the door and, and smoke it out. That was a, a fun one to try and get away with smoking in hotels for a while. Uh, I've never actually gotten the uh, smoking charge, but we use like what we call a zoom tube or a spoof where you blow it through a uh, basically toilet paper roll with dryer sheets on the end. Now they actually make like professional ones like the spoofy or uh, there's other ones, but yeah, they all kind of work doing the same thing as a carbon filter or whatever. But with that said, uh, Matthew, uh, final thoughts and shout out. I also agree it was a lighthearted episode and, um, you know, rife with a lot of cool information. Congratulations to Spartan, of course. And yeah, if you are interested in learning a little bit more, um, I should do some more videos about, um, you know, aspects of, of like psychrometrics and VPD and, and other stuff. But uh, more to the pest mitigation sort of thing. Again, Zenthanol, the YouTube channel for professional inquiries, zenthanol.com. Also, uh, if you want a pocket IPM specialist, then you can head over to my Patreon, which is patreon.com slash zenthanol. And for $1 a month, at the very least, you can get access to my Discord channel where me and like 110 plus people um, all kind of commiserate and interact and uh, ask me IPM questions, and then I answer them to the best of my ability. And yeah, and I also make a bunch of other outreach on Instagram, which is at Sync Angel, and also on Twitter at Sync Angel. Communities there, as well as the Cocoa for Cannabis. Awesome to see everybody building their communities and their followings and using their expertise to show those people basically, uh, you know, 
why and how it's uh, important to learn these types of things. So I'm glad that so many people are interested in the IPM thing. And uh, there's also such a great, strong community over there of growers and cocoa, uh, the CocoaForCannabis.com website. And last and certainly not least, I can't talk right now. I'm obviously, uh, this sour diesel is working or not working. Did but, they creep uh, up on you, Jack? They cre- yeah, crept they creep up on me. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's more just uh, maybe a little bit of cotton mouth and uh, talking for two hours and getting ready to close it down. So passing it off last and certainly not least to the American one. Jack, thanks for hosting as always. You do an impeccable job all the time. And it was a good one today. I liked it. Nice, uh, easy. And yeah, my final thought is, I forgot to say this, but yeah, it's better to go better with the charcoal filters, bigger than smaller, because even if you're in a, uh, you know, not in trouble, get in trouble with the law, you never know what it might attract. So yeah. And peace out to everyone in chat. Have a great week. And uh, yeah, peace out. The law can be the least of your worries if you attract the wrong type of people, honestly. It's a... So definitely be secure with your home grow and uh, keep on growing, as Spartan would always say. Uh, congratulations again to him, not only on another lap around the sun himself for his own birthday, but having his first grandson carrying his name on. Really cool to see. Really happy for him. He's an amazing guy. Does so much for not only our community, but the whole cannabis community at large, just all the shows he goes on. And ever since like way back in the day, just being a dude grows, answering questions in the chat for people. Uh, can't respect that guy enough. Uh, big ups, big love to Spartan Grown. And to everybody here tonight listening on the YouTube and for everybody who uh, downloads and checks out the podcast afterwards, can't uh, share how grateful I and the rest of the panel are for all of your continued support. We really appreciate it. And we look forward to it every single week, as well as uh, each other's company and the great questions and topics and uh, conversations that we get to have. So thank you all so much for coming. Jack Greenstock on Instagram, as you can see right here, Jack underscore Greenstock is my backup account and also my Twitter. So if you want to email me, jackgreenstock47 at gmail.com. If you want a copy of the book, 50 Strains of Green, go to 50strains.com to get yourself a copy. Uh, So that's all I got. Jack Greenstock signing out. Catch you all next week. Peace and love.